0: Scene 1. Strippers, Drugs, Magic, and Comedy. The Amazing Jonathan. Read by Joshua Stencamp following original audio recording. Flying from Orlando to Las Vegas took me through New York. The extra time let me think over the conversation I'd be having later that day. What do you talk about with an icon of entertainment and a childhood hero? Cracking my journal open to a brand new page, I started writing, and by the time the plane landed in Las Vegas, I jotted down three pages of notes. Anxious but feeling prepared, I grabbed a taxi, and a short ride later, I was at my hotel. After checking into my room, I had a couple of hours before meeting Anastasia, the amazing Jonathan's wife, who had offered to give me a ride to their house for the interview. Hanging out in my room didn't sound as interesting as people watching and gambling in the casino, so I dropped off my gear, grabbed my journal, some cash, and headed to the floor. Mesmerized by the blinking lights and the hope of a big payout, I spotted the Jurassic Park slots. Don't judge. The movie was fantastic. I sat down. My phone buzzed, pulling me back into the real world with a text from Anastasia saying that she had arrived. Her timing was perfect as I just run out of cash. Vegas, baby. Making my way to her car, a slight panic set in. Where's my journal? A quick pat and a mental check. I realized I left it. Fuck. I sprinted back to where I had been sitting. Nothing. No journal. Fuck. Lady Luck was definitely not on my side. Under my breath, a steady string of expletives was flowing as I walked outside where Anastasia was waiting. Composing myself, I waved, she said hello, got situated in the car, and off we went. The short drive was pretty much a blur. My mind locked on not having my notes and was desperately trying to remember what I had written. We pulled into the drive, lined with vintage cars that led to a large white mansion. As we came through the door, a voice called down, "'Hey, I'm up here!' I walked up a set of stairs to a loft area where a strange kind of music was playing. The amazing Jonathan sat at a cluttered desk in an office, overflowing with books, memorabilia, and random mementos. As I entered the room, he was waving his hands in the air between these two pieces of metal attached to a box, causing the haunting music to play. He stopped. We shook hands. That's a theremin, right? I asked. He nodded and motioned for me to sit down as he continued to play while I arranged my recorders for the interview. With everything ready, I pressed record, and thought, Okay, Josh, here we go. Uh, Okay, Uh, the amazing Jonathan interview. So, how are you doing today?
1: Let me tell you. Today was a day unlike many other days. I got up, I went to the bathroom. Oh, first I went to the bathroom, then I got up. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's going to be very dramatic. I like it. Um, so, yeah, questions. Here we go. The first one, um, super simple, super easy. Uh, sex with the lights on, off, or romantically dim? What? Sex with the lights on, off, or romantically dim?
1: Oh. Um, dark. Dark. Yeah. Okay. Just sets the mood like for Like a things. trunk, in, in a trunk dark.
0: <laughs> so the first question is, what, what got you into magic or comedy magic? What was um, the first step?
1: The first step was being a lousy magician and having people laugh at me. Figuring out that maybe they should be laughing at me. So I changed from magic to comedy. I did my high school talent show, and it went so horribly wrong that um, that I quit. I stopped that, after that day. I stopped doing all magic. I did six tricks. Six tricks went wrong. Uh, I killed a bird. That was trick number one. Um, the girl in the sword cabinet got a leg cramp, and said, "I have to get out of the box now." <laughs> halfway through the trick and she stood up and knocked the box apart that was two vanishing cane got snagged halfway so i had half a cane with a little bit of silk coming out of it and another silk in this hand i mean it was just like god's way of telling me that you're not meant to be a magician you know and then the guillotine at the end what could go wrong with that right the lights shut off before it played went through her neck there's supposed to be a blackout afterwards Oh, Super X levitation, where you hide your leg, the iron bar, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, you're supposed to have a sheet down as you walk around, then you put your leg in place and lift the sheet up. The sheet was up the whole time I was walking around. She was laying on it. So I saw the iron bar the whole entire time, which was the only trick that fooled people because they didn't think it was the iron bar was so fucking obvious that they they figured he wouldn't just show the iron bar. I can't. So they didn't think that was what was holding her up. But it was so bad that nobody teased me the next day. That's when you know you suck. So after that, I quit doing magic and went to San Francisco and started doing street performing. Um, and I added comedy. That's when I added comedy.
0: What was the most difficult thing about street performing?
1: Um, being good enough to keep an audience because... sometimes they'd just walk away halfway through my show, they would just, one person would leave and then another one would leave and then everybody would leave, you know. I'd have to start all over again. Um, When I started to get good at it, from watching other performers, um, I went to go get a sandwich and I came back and all my stuff was packed packed up with Harry Anderson. Harry was doing street magic at the time, and uh, he took my spot, and I was about to kick his ass when I saw him start to do his show and watched him, and he got about 100 people standing there in about five minutes, which is uh, 90 more people than I was used to getting. So he was a real pro out there, so he kind of taught me some stuff and how to do it, took me under his wing a little bit. Then I met... um, other street performers at that time, uh, and dad, watched them and they helped me. And I learned how to write comedy by reading Orban books. What are Orban books? Robert Orban books. You don't know Robert Orban you mm-hmm. punk. <laughs> um, there are probably some Robert Orban books right there on that shelf, down one, over to the far right. Those are Robert Orban books, Far right. Oh, far right. They're little pamphlet books. Oh, the yep. These ones Now this? those, these are pretty rare now, but, but I would go to the San Francisco library, and um, they would have these. You couldn't check them out, but you could read them. And uh, they're, they're joke books. And I learned how to write jokes from these books. Um, I changed the formula around to make it more modern, because most of the jokes were about, like, yeah, like, that's one.
0: Gag Bonanza, yeah. by Robert Orban. you
1: can I learned how to change the joke so that I learned the formula of joke writing by reading these. I mean, these are so old, you got, they got Lincoln. <laughs> you know, I think Lincoln and the Taft-Hartley debate was mentioned in them as a joke. But um, here, I'll give you, and some of them are written for just magicians. Like, he's written probably a hundred of these books. And most magicians, my age, my generation, have read them, and they use the lines from them. But, but I got tricky, and I, I switched them around. And they're, they're really piss poor jokes. And see, like heck, one's just for hecklers. Um, uh, a wife is someone who remembers the punchline to your story ten seconds before you get to it. <laughs> right. Horrible. To, to a bully, I'll never forget last night I, I had with him. Right in the middle of it, I stuck my tongue out at him. I always do that when I'm being choked.
0: <laughs> so, did, did you did you use these or no? I just the formula. Okay. Yeah,
1: and I, my opening bit was a gag went from the, I, I took and was talking about how I saw someone being raped and and the cops came and the guy ran away. They got one handcuff on the guy and then. Then the guy ran away from the cops and got away. And then, and then I'd take my hand out of my pocket and I would have a cup, handcuffs on. one handcuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd try to hide it, you know. But, I mean, that, it, it, I, my whole act was like gags, like really bad gags. One-liners and... and but people people make careers out of the one-liners. Yeah, but then, then you have to do this. If you want to take it to the next level, you have to take those gags out. And you have to put yours in, you know. You have to learn how to do it yourself. You can't just go and use lines like, uh, you know, the stock magic lines that you always hear everybody doing. And I use a lot of them, and I still use a lot of them, but uh, most of them are mine, and most of them are used by other people now, and they're considered stock lines. Which is frustrating at first, but then you go, what the fuck, there's nothing you can do about it, you know? So.
0: When you were talking about... Um like in the, the gag book you mentioned hecklers but the, the best person I've ever seen video of dealing with a heckler I saw Michael Finney deal with a heckler on a video and he, he did put him to shame he put him in his place how do you deal with hecklers do you do that or do you just try I, to I,
1: I am the best at putting hecklers in their place because I used to work at a strip club uh, which is really rough up in Anchorage Alaska and I was the MC and I would come out between the girls and do my magic and they hated me I mean my introduction was You know, you want to see some titties? Yeah, first here's a magician. You know, they fucking throw me out to the wolves. And uh, I was dying, I was dying miserable up there. So I wrote back to the States and I said, send me every joke book, every insult book you have. I need it bad. So I wrote them all down, had them in the back of my table so I could see them. And I had a hundred lines memorized by a month's time. I knew a hundred heckler lines. And anytime somebody said anything, boom, so I wasn't even doing material towards the end. I was just doing heckler lines, back and forth. Then I got so good at... the
0: heckler at, became the material. Oh, I had I had <laughs> heckler
1: lines. I mean, I have a million of them. I'm like, there's a bus leaving in five minutes. Be under it. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> stuff. That, okay. uh, um, let's put pressure face in some dough and make asshole cookies. Um, I got some good ones, you know. Uh, I like to run into you sometime on the street when I'm driving and you're walking. You know, just... Like, standing, let me put it in a nutshell. You're ugly, your dick is small, and I fucked your mom. Now, uh, would, you, would you just
0: sit there and keep going yeah, and, and going, going, going and going and going? And People
1: would come to see just that. They would they would come to heckle me and, and be slammed down, you know? And uh, I got real good at it, you know? And, and, and um, now, <clears throat> when I do a show and there's a big theater, I don't do it as much. I won't go back and forth with the guy because it distracts from the show. I'll... I'll do one, I'll do two, then I'll warn the guy to shut up, uh, and then I'll have him removed, you know? But, I mean, it used to be, when I was doing comedy clubs, I'd fight. I'd go down and fight the guy, you know? Um, someone ruining my show, you know? So, if this is the worst thing you can hear. Boring! You know, someone saying that. Mm. I'll, you know, I'll, that, I lose control when I hear that, because what do I have to do? I'm fucking putting a knife through my arm, a fucking skewer through my tongue. What's... <laughs> you think that's boring, what you want? <laughs> you're in the wrong place. And so I'd get up and I'd, I would grab the guy by the collar and rush him out the back door, you know. But that's before I had a bank account, so I didn't have anything to lose.
0: What do you consider was your, your first big break that you knew that you were on the right direction? <clears throat>
1: um, There's several breaks, but the big break, I think, I've done a little TV here and there, local TV in San Francisco and... and and my b- big break came when they picked three comics from San Francisco to go to L.A. and audition at the Improv uh, on industry night, which means all the people that book shows come to the Improv to, to pick comics, to be on those show. I was picked to be one of the three comics. So my first time ever in L.A., ever at the comedy, no, I was at the Improv, I did my show in Destroy. And that night I got... To, three major TV shows in one night. I got HBO Young Comedian Special, which was a big deal because they re-ran that over and over and a lot of great comics came from that. Sam Kinison and a lot of them. And I got... What else did I get? I got Think of the Night, which is a late-night talk show back then. And I got David Letterman. So, in one night, I got all those shows. And that got the ball going for me, you know. After that, people kind of knew who I was um, they knew me but they didn't know my name the only thing that made it so that people knew who I was by name was the Comedy Central special because in the background I had a marquee with my name on the background and that was told to me by somebody you should have your name so they can always see your name in the background i will noticed though that a, lot of, a lot of comedians will have their yeah, names yeah it's the big, smartest thing you can do because I went from hey you're that guy to hey you're the amazing Jonathan and uh and you know that's that that Comedy Central special was the second break, the Lounge Lizards one, because they reran it a hundred times, and once in a while they still rerun it. You know, Comedy Central came along um, right at the right time, and I got a lot of specials from them. And then ten years went by, and I thought, well, they're done with me. And then they offered me a one-hour special after ten years of not using me at all. You know, and that kept the momentum going, so that I could. Uh, I always did other countries, too. I always traveled to Australia and got a following there and went to England and got a following there and Germany and Switzerland. I went all over to get followings just in case it petered out in the States, which it kind of did. The comedy clubs did kind of peter out for a while.
0: Was it difficult to to restart a new following in every country? No, it wasn't
1: difficult. I was just doing my show, you know. Um, People in other countries go crazy for, for my stuff, you know. It's just like... They like variety in other countries much more than they do here in the states. There's not a lot of shows for variety acts anymore, but there are in Europe and in other countries. They love variety, mm-hmm. so I would do comedy festivals and 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 uh, I went to Germany and did um, the, the show and I was I was pretty big everywhere. I was working it whenever I wanted it to work, and when most comics were lowering. Um, their prices because the comedy clubs were closing in the states got it yeah yeah, we're so good uh i was raising my prices i always went did the opposite and that worked for me you know i made it look like i was a hard to get act and and then eventually i became one you know when you were you said you did letterman were you nervous to do letterman yeah I i was nervous to do any show like that because um Five minutes was rough for me to do, you know. I always got the guy from the audience on stage and was up there with a half for a half hour with the guy. So to put together five minutes of coherent material was always pretty rough for me. Uh, the first Letterman spot I did, um, it went decent, and I made a bet with this d- jockey that I wouldn't flip him off during the show at some point. And when Dave called me over to sit down, I scratched my nose with my middle finger, and I won the bet, $1,000 bet, but I lost the show because the producer saw me doing it and thought I was doing it to him personally because we had a little row before the show and, and, and banned me from the show. So I didn't do Letterman again until 10 years later when he got fired and David saw me on and do my new Comedy Central special and had me back on again. I didn't know if he remembered the middle finger incident, but if you watch the second Letterman I did, I come out and I start breaking up laughing when I looked over at Davis because he stood up behind the desk and flipped me off, and nobody could see it. It wasn't on camera, but he just went like this to me, and I laughed, and that's why I laughed. And then the set killed. It was the best Letterman set in a long, long time, and... When I was in my dressing room afterwards, they came back and said, uh, Dave wants to talk to you upstairs. And then, he, then the guy said, Dave never wants to talk to anyone upstairs. And I went, fuck that, what's going on? So I went up there and he said, first thing he said was, listen, you're not going to be happy about this, but uh, I can't air this that you just did. And I said, what are you talking about? I just destroyed. And he said, look, nobody's a bigger fan of yours than mine. And after he said that, all I heard was, That's yeah. right. David that. Litterman yeah. likes yeah. me. Yeah, he loves my show. So he said, you know, you stabbed a girl in the head with scissors and I have a real strong position against violence towards women. And it was just right after the OJ thing. And I said, you know what, Dave, it's called slapstick. And if you put restrictions on that, you're setting a trend, you're going to set a trend. You know, you're being too politically correct here. If it was a guy, you wouldn't have said anything about it. And he said to his assistant, well, what do you think? And she was a girl. So he said, yeah, it was pretty violent. I'm like, great, great. He said, well, you put together another five-minute set, you can go back out, we'll hold the audience. And I went, are you serious? So I had to go back out there without my props, without, you know, just putting stuff together real quick. And... It didn't work. The audience was, you know, they already had seen me, they already liked it. And now they just was lukewarm, you know. They, they were confused by it. And so that's what aired, and, and, and I would never do that show again. <laughs> Especially now, since it's off the air. When, um... But he came to my show, he snuck in my show. I, would, I did the Foxwoods Casino about two years later, and he snuck in the show and watched the whole show and then snuck out. Uh, and I uh, called, my M.A. manager called his office the next day to ask if he was there, and he said, yeah. So he likes the show. It's
0: good. Before you go on stage, it, there's a, a famous thing that I like about um, Doug Henning, is one of my favorite magicians. And Doug Henning, before he would do shows, he would sit backstage and he would put together newspaper tears. That's just what he would do to relax himself, to calm down. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you do before a show to kind of get in the zone
1: or? Uh, the zone is, for me, is not to be relaxed. The zone for my show is to be manic and, and, and crazy. So that wouldn't work for me. Um, no, I, I didn't do anything but drugs probably. Uh, yeah, I would do drugs before a show usually. And uh, for, for 20 years, I would pep up, you know, do a line of speed, do a line of coke and, and go out there and be manic, and crazy. and look wild-eyed and sweaty because I was. <laughs> I was the guy, you know. I, that And, and uh, that was my mantra before a show. I would go and just do a line and just plow through it. And um, it's always worked, you know. I've always come from the drug era where everybody did, Robin Williams and I, and everybody was doing drugs back then. And that's how I really formed that character is from... Uh, being wired out of my head so uh, uh, that was my my, my Zen moment uh, before a show I didn't need to I didn't do it every every time every show but mostly mostly yeah the headband because because of the sweat caused from from from, gotcha. <laughs> from drugs
0: but when you say character what was what bef- I'm not saying before the drugs or after the drugs but was that character what is that character? Jonathan. Yeah. It is.
1: Yeah, to a degree. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not doing this flipping people out, you know. Yeah, to a degree it's me. But the annoy it's kind of loud and brash and I'm not really loud and brash, but um, the character changed over the years from being very fast and moving a mile a minute to slowing down and doing ad-libbing and and taking my time so that I could think of new stuff while I was on stage and I got really good at improving you know i was uh I was probably improving about 25 percent of the show towards the end and uh, and they were good i mean it, i I got pretty sharp pretty fast you know i I, uh, I hung out with comics who are a very sharp-witted group and, you, and to survive in that you have to become sharp-witted so i mean uh sink or swim you know and that's how i probably have an answer for everything it started with the heckler lines and the strippers having an answer but those are written and memorized answers i can i can you know think of a hundred things to say if somebody says something to me i don't like even on the street you know it's a good tool to have and it's not easy to get
0: you were saying that because i've seen videos of your shows from the early days and, and they were they did they were, there was a lot of stuff going on all the there was
1: and I don't know what I liked better I think I liked I like both you know I liked I liked the fact that I was doing prop put it down prop put it down prop put it down and going a mile a minute if you see, watch the early comic strip lives I like those tapes there man you can tell him I'm coke. My mom would call me and say, oh, you? You did cocaine, didn't you?" I can tell. You're moving. You're moving a mile a minute. You're sweating. And I, yeah, <laughs> got busted. You know. And uh, later on in, in my career, when I slowed slowed it down so that I could think about what I was doing and put more. Yeah, I had Tanya then. After Tanya joined the show, things things got a little bit more um, production-wise. A little better production-wise. I, I was playing Vegas. For 13 years, I, I was not moving around. I was able to build a set. I was able to I mean, do things that I couldn't do on the road because I didn't want to take all that stuff with me. But the show became really good, and the Vegas show was the best I think it's ever been. An hour, an hour show seemed like 25 minutes, you know. So people, people liked the show with the production value. Tanya was a big addition to that show. You know, I've had a lot of assistants over the years. Usually, they were girlfriends. But she was a professional actress when I hired her, and she she was the best. She's. Uh, I think it's,
0: I think that's what most people know you as is, is you and psychic Tanya. Usually, when I mention your name, yeah, they go, oh, the ditzy blonde, I love that. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah well, there are a couple of ditzy blondes, but she's the best one. That's for sure. You know, uh, I watch her uh, on videotape, and I see how good she was I, during the show. I'm too close to see it, but when I pull back and watch her on TV, she's just her facial, her expressions are great. The um, what was I gonna say? I lost track. <laughs>
0: Tanya. Tanya. Oh, when you're on stage, uh, when you're doing your Vegas show, did anything ever go wrong? Did you always? Ever have a trick?
1: Did I I always have stuff going wrong, man. Do you just cover from it from just your? I tr- I, your can quick cover, work, I can cover. I or Do you have yeah, something like backed up? No, I don't have. I I can cover for no matter what happens. A uh, few things, a few uh, physical accidents happen. I can't cover for. Um, for example, I staple gun to a card to, to, over Tanya's eyes. I used to take tape and put it in the back of the cards and just staple gun two cards over her eyes for a blindfold. Well, the staple gun got switched for a real staple gun, and I stapled two cards over her eyes for real. And uh, that there's no covering for when she runs off screaming, you know. Um, I've blown up. I've got, uh, blew my face off, blew all my hair off, uh... I've had a lot of accidents because there was a period when I was trying a lot of new stuff out and I was building everything myself and uh, safety precautions weren't a big priority <laughs> until after something. A get, with the chemistry set. Until an accident happened, <laughs> then, then I learned how, in my lesson. But yeah, I've been hurt a lot during the show and Tanya's been hurt and I try not to, to do that anymore, you know. I try to keep it safe. Um, Last, I mean, I, I almost suffocated once make, making a prop. I almost died uh, with plaster over my face that I couldn't take off. Um, it got stuck in my beard, and I was trying to pull a little mask off, and it wouldn't come off. And like 10 hours later, I'm starting to suffocate. And she's hitting it with a hammer, you know. Plaster stuff like with that. a friend. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've had some, some, be- but some of the accidents happen, and it's for the best, you know. Some accidents happen in, And that's a new routine, you know? It's a new bit. Especially at the Magic Castle when I go and watch other magicians. And if they fuck up, you can bet it's going to be in my act, you know? (laughs) I like to see magicians fucking up. I feel bad, but at the same time, sometimes it looks like this is what I want to do on stage. I want to do exactly that. (laughs) I only have
0: a few more questions for you. Um, Was there ever a venue that you wanted to perform at that they didn't want you because of your show because it was too brash because it wasn't the right style not a venue no not a
1: venue TV shows Uh, I've been on a few TV shows and got edited out because of the brashness but that's their fault because they rehearse first and they know what they're getting into Uh, I don't have to be dirty at all I mean I've done shows for Disney Mm -hmm. me and Weird Al did shows for Disney and I can clean, work clean, but I don't prefer that. I prefer to say fuck whenever I want. And people who are offended by that, I don't want them there. They will get up and walk out. I'm like, good. I don't want those type of people. And politically correct people piss me off. And when they're in my show and I see them being upset by the stabbing of the head or violence or anything, I fucking love it, man. I just go, I'm glad you're mad, you know. And if they say something to me that's the wrong fucking thing to do you know because you sat there and you watched the whole show and you didn't like the fucking opening because I stabbed her in the head but you watched the whole show yeah I said bullshit you know you wouldn't have stayed if it really offended you people like to act offended when they're really not um yeah I've had a lot of problems with TV shows though they get I get pissed off when they cut me from that when they know what I'm doing and we rehearse it and then they still cut me. What a waste of my time, you know. Champions mm. of Magic just did that to me uh, this this year. Is it Masters of Masters of Illusion? Really? Yeah, I did three new bits that were killer, and they cut they cut them all. And uh, like, you don't get a name like me on the show, and you cut them. That's fine. That's fine if you're an amateur or you know you don't have a name. But you don't cut the biggest name from the show because... It's like putting Don
0: Rickles on stage and saying you can't make fun of anybody. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, and so I was pissed off. You know what? You could have had the last TV show I ever did. You could have been the one. But now you're not, you know. That was the last TV show I ever did. And it was good. It was a good set. I'm going
0: to jump back to when you were performing on... uh, Doing street performing and Harry Anderson, you said that people... You would constantly have to restart your show over and over again. People were walking away. How did that affect you? Was it was it like yeah, it would just it was, kill you, or it was, or would not kill me?
1: Up? It was humiliating. It was, but you know, I I learned everything that happened to me that's humiliating. I learned the most from, you know, I mean, the the stripper club. You know, that was humiliating when they was they weren't there to see me. So I made adjustments. I made adjustments, and and, and any situation that I'm in, I make adjustments. Uh, you know, I try to to feel the mountain and go the way that, that they want. Like, when you do a corporate gig, I'm not a corporate act. I mean, but, but they want me anyway because of, they see me on TV. And then they, they tell me, you know, you can't say, fuck, You we don't want you to swear. You know what? You don't want me to swear. The audience doesn't give a fuck if I swear or not. They're adults. You give a fuck because you're thinking that they, they give a fuck, but they don't, you know. And so, you know, I get groups of bankers. Like, one time I did a show for all bankers in Monterey. And they stood with their arms crossed like this and watched me. No one made laugh. No one did. And I pulled out a check that they gave me for $45,000. I said, you want to see something funny? That's what you're paying me. $45,000. And you're not having fun. So, fuck you, you know. That, that showed them, you know. that, that That's, you know, I, I'm, I, I like to... I like to shake it up. I like to to rattle the cage, you know? And uh, I always have. I like to rattle the cage.
0: Do you think you would have had a a different profession?
1: Than magic? Yeah. Um, If if I wasn't... If I didn't do acid when I was 18 and get the idea of coming up with this character and doing the eyebrows and, and, and... and thinking it through, I would I would probably would have been working at a motor Ford Motor Company in Detroit, you know, on the assembly line, or doing something, because I wasn't creative until I was open-minded about the paths I could go through using psychedelic drugs and like acid LSD. I you know I learned a lot from it, and I only did it a few times, and I learned what I needed to learn from it, and then I put it away. You know, I didn't don't didn't do it recreationally like like my friends were doing I, I did it to learn something about myself and I did and it all throughout my career by doing stuff like that and altering my my mind I I altered it for the best I mean I I, I became who I am you know uh, the amazing Jonathan who's you know crazy on stage fast-witted off stage he's just you know it's been good it's been good I, in the long run I'm sure it's killing me in the long run but uh, would you rather have a, a long run or a fun run like I've had a memorable and, one yeah something that you've done every, I've got you know I've done everything I've been everywhere and I've met people I want to meet and I've got i got a lot of money I just everything's great everything's fine right now you know but uh, then you find out you're sick and that you might you might be dying you know I was told a year and a half ago that I had uh yeah. Only a year to live. And so I thought, well, should I stop doing drugs? And then it came to me. If you're going to die, why stop doing drugs? (laughs) If you're going to die because of drugs, why stop doing them now? Yeah, so it's been over a year and a half. The doctor told me that I was going to go in a year and a half, probably. I didn't change my ways, and I haven't. And uh, did, you ever, did you create a bucket list or anything? No, because my bucket list, I've done everything on my bucket list. <laughs> my bucket list now is heroin. <laughs> That's the only thing on my bucket list. High-speed car pursuit. Yeah, when I'm, when I'm truly sick and bad suffering if that happens, then I want heroin and lots of it.
0: <laughs> and I have one last question, and yeah. we'll wrap it up. The reason I'm doing this is because learning magic at a young age, it was you spoke to the magicians that you knew for advice. What advice do you give to drugs? No, I'm <laughs> kidding. No, no, to I'm any kidding. young um, performer, um, what's the best advice you could possibly give them?
1: Here's here's some good advice. Watch Chaplin. Watch Buster Keaton. Watch Harold Lloyd. Watch the old masters. Learn about comedy um, before you start doing it figure out all throughout the ages who's been funny and why they're funny like jack benny his timing and uh visual crafts like chaplin and, and uh learn about comedy first you know all these kids never have seen a movie by chaplin they've never even seen a film like that i think that the history of comedy should be taught before you go into it um and learn how to write don't steal material so alright, at first. For the first couple of months, you can borrow, beg, borrow. But when you start making money at it and you start getting real audiences, you better knock that shit off, you know, and be original. Come up with a character, you know. Uh, you can take something somebody's doing and twist it around enough where it's yours, you know. Uh, that's the advice I give. And one last thing. Did you have an idol? You said girl? the other I know, I know. Well, I lost idol? my Wait paperwork. I lost my
0: paperwork, so it's all uh, coming to me. You
1: can ask. Yeah, you can ask. Well, me.
0: did you have an idol, a hero? Because mine was, you uh, know, Hoosier. I like Chaplin. Chaplin was probably one of yeah, mine. Yeah,
1: yeah. As far as silent movies go and movies, Chaplin was good. But I like Harold Lloyd. I like Buster. C- They're all good in their own right, you know? But was there um, one that specifically? Uh, I would say Chaplin was the best. I mean, my dad took me to see Modern Times when I was a kid. I saw it at a movie theater with an organ player, you know, uh, playing along, and uh, it blew my mind to see that. I loved that movie, Modern Times, and that's what got me probably interested in comedy. And then, and then I watched Steve Martin and, and, and do the Smothers Brothers when, he, when he's writing for them, and he came out and did a magic show, and it was silly, and I liked that. So that probably had a lot to influence me on. And then Alice Cooper. I used to sit in the dark and listen to Alice Cooper and, and uh, welcome to my nightmare and, and envision in my head what, what I wanted to do on stage, you know, and uh, it turned out it was nothing like I envisioned. <laughs> I wanted to be the next cop for Phil until after that high school talent show. Then I knew, I knew it wasn't going to be, you know. I was destined to be comedy, to do comedy. And there's not a lot of magicians out there that can come close to what myself and Penn and Teller are doing. We got the formula right. A lot of magicians do a little comedy. A lot of comedians do some magic. But we got the right blend. And that's why we're known, you know, um, outside of the Las Vegas city limits. Well, I want to thank you. You're welcome. Was that going interview okay for you? No, I want to do it
0: over. <laughs> so we got to get thirty-five minutes. We're still recording, so uh, this is yeah. all going on an audio CD that they can download or whatever. I'm, oh, are, oh, you really?
1: Yeah. Oh, you didn't tell me that. Why? <laughs> you me that to, th- did you want me to edit out some of the stuff? Well, I thought you were. De- well, I thought you were doing it for. Uh, this too was going on the audio CD. Probably <laughs> me being surprised that that's uh, going on an audio CD you can deny um, it I
0: mean you can say I don't want it on an audio
1: I was kidding you about all the drug use <laughs> I'm, I, I'm editing out everything with a wave of my hand
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's it that's the amazing Jonathan thank you Choosing not to do it over, we sat for a while, talking films and magic. He gave me a tour of the house, showing me the vintage props he collected over the years and his garage of classic cars. It was getting late, so we said our goodbyes, and Anastasia kindly dropped me off at a local karaoke spot where I could grab a drink, sing, and reflect on the interview. It was a fitting end to the day. This journey had begun months earlier with me sitting in a karaoke bar, nervously sending Jonathan a message asking if he had any interest in being interviewed for a book I wanted to write. Remembering my initial fear of reaching out made me smile as I realized that this dream was not only possible but it was actually happening. I will forever be grateful he said yes.